to the Dean at Stumps podcast, Zimbabwe's only weekly cricket show with expert analysis by Dean Duplessis. Well, I'm never too sure about the expert analysis that is so kindly mentioned by Mr. Ross Brownlee Walker, but uh, all the same, hello and welcome to the Dean at Stumps podcast. My name is Dean Duplessis and it is a great pleasure to be, to be with you. So as lockdown continues and in certain countries that has been extended, Zimbabwe being one of them, why not have a bit of a listen to the likes of Sean Pollock, Mpumalelo Mbangwa, Neil Manthorpe, uh, and of course the former England captain Michael Vaughan, as we have a good old cricket catch-up. So don't forget, you can also subscribe to the Dean at Stumps podcast via all your favorite podcast apps as well, the likes of Spotify, iTunes, Overcast, Downcast, and many more. Well, as I've already made mention to the lockdown in Zimbabwe has been extended pretty much like most of most countries really as uh, we still continue to try to get to grips with this virus that has completely turned the world on its head and once again I urge you to please stay safe try and sanitize as much as you can and, and if you do need to go out make sure that you are wearing some sort of a mask just to stay safe. Uh, so who do we have lined up for you in this edition? He's incredibly High octane, I think, is the word that you would use when he steps in a commentary box. He was very good with the ball in hand. Very good test bowler. He has a career best of 8 for 79 versus the Australians. And uh, he also now does a lot of work in the commentary box. Some love him. Some maybe not too fond of him, especially when he's doing T20 cricket. I am, of course, referring to none other than Daniel Kyle Morrison. Danny Morrison. But before we get into Danny Morrison, we have a message for you. Good day, my fellow Zimbabweans. My name is Karen Mutasa, and I am a trustee of the Solidarity Trust Zimbabwe Fund. Solidarity Trust is a group of people who are from the private sector as well as professionals, doctors and business people around Zimbabwe. We were concerned about the health sector not being ready to accept COVID patients. We have embarked on a project, first of all, to get the St. Anne's Hospital resuscitated after being shut down for many years. This project is really on its way to being open in the next 10 days. We are also working with Ikusileni as well as Mutare and Shishavane and Vic Falls to assist in opening facilities there for people who may contract COVID-19. We have a fundraising project going on at the moment, which is really, really important in order for us to be able to fight this pandemic. We would so appreciate any donation that you may be able to assist with this project. You can go to our page www.sotsim.org in order to donate. Please spread the word because we need to be able to get these hospitals facilities already in time for anybody who is in Zimbabwe so that they will have a chance to get treatment and to be able to save their lives. It is really important as well for us to be able to raise as much funding as we can in order to support the incredible health sector, the nurses and the doctors who are operating the 2019 hotline number, which we have 
in conjunction with the Ministry of Health. You can phone 2019 if you need any telemedicine and to be able to get a consultation before rushing off to go and check in at the hospital or at a doctor. You can get tested at home. So the 2019 number is really important for you to call if you have any symptoms. But more importantly, we really, really need to raise as much funding as we can. Thank you to Dean Duplessy for allowing us to be able to broadcast on his podcast for you to support Sotsim. Once again, you can go to our donate page, fund which is on www.sotzim.org or our facebook handle twitter and instagram thank you once again god bless you all and just remember united together we can fight you're listening to dean at stumps hosted by dean duplessis thank you very much indeed to karen mutasa Yes, this is a very big project and uh, if you would like to assist in any way, you just simply need to go to their website as Karen alluded to and uh, long may they continue to have success. Right, let's get into the meat and potatoes of the podcast, shall we? Daniel Kyle Morrison, Danny Morrison, an incredibly nice human being. He's always full of fun, but he's only human as well. And uh, does he at times sometimes not necessarily feel like stepping into the commentary box. Does it sometimes uh, get a bit too much to always be maintaining that high op- octane commentary that he has? Absolutely. And I'm sorry to your listeners. I know putting up with me uh, because I do get a bit boisterous. Um, but <laughs> it's fascinating now in 2020, Dino, that having just done some of the Pakistan Super League, I say some of it at the end behind closed doors because of uh, COVID-19 kicking in, um, and they couldn't finish the tournament, sadly, for PSL5. Yeah. And it really is quite different, quite airy and very weird to try and do it without a crowd there. And as everyone can probably appreciate in terms of a sporting event, the fans, that's what the game's about. Of course it is. Any sport, it's about the fan base. And when it's not happening at the stadium, I can promise you, Dino, very difficult for us to broadcast, commentate and, and, and really get amped about it must be difficult because you have to maintain your energy levels, but at the same time, you know, you can't really go over the top and go into that high octave mode of yours that you do mm. so effectively because <laughs> there's nobody there. Yeah, yeah, again, yeah, I make apologies and freak a lot out. Oh. I say, yeah, a lot, a lot love me, a lot hate me. Uh, but, you know, I make no apologies. It is T20. It's not test cricket. Um, and it really is quite a different uh, genre, if you like, within cricket. But, Got to say, I do love it. And, and as you so mentioned earlier, Dino, very spoiled in that part of the world at that time because you think you had the World T20 in Southern Africa in 07. And then, of course, because of the elections, uh, Lullet Modi and the gang that ran IPL in those first three years could shift it, drive it, move it very quickly to, to South Africa again. And I just think for all you guys in Southern Africa, we're very uh, blessed at that time. We have so much good T20 cricket on at that time. Yes, absolutely, Danny. There was some fantastic cricket. And, and of course, you were also involved in the South Africa, which, which they refer to as a 2020 competition as well, doing a bit of work there in its infancy stages to, I guess, try and get viewers to watch it. Was that something that you... Do you enjoy travelling around the world and, and do you get to know um, a lot of the different players, you know, the players who we n- may not necessarily see on TV, but some of the more locally-based players? Do you, do you get to know them as well? Yeah, and as you say, I've really enjoyed that. And, of course, 
and, and, and blessed and spoiled to be in that stage and its infancy, as you say, Dean, to, to be along there and work on that first uh, ICC World T2007 and then what the IPL spawned, uh, you think about all the other leagues that kicked in and then started to take 2020 more seriously. And the Aussies were very slow out of the blocks, I must say. Uh, and that's, of course, where I reside and uh, the Big Bash. And now, you know, that got really didn't get very excited until about 2012, 13, to be fair. Yeah. And when I look and see the game live and then be able to, as you say, interview guys or even just chat to them at the start of a match, and Dino, it's lovely because you're right, all the big stars, they get all the accolades, they get all the spotlight, but it's the other guys that are just in behind that that often the fan base don't see enough of. And it's lovely to be alongside Tom Moody or, and, and Waka Yunus uh, in that very first year, which was fascinating, that he was allowed to come back into that part of the world of India and work on the IPL in 2013. Oh. And for him just to be alongside those guys and really inspire the guys that don't play a lot that are in the squad or even just have a chat to some of the guys in the other franchises, uh, to do that and see that unfold, uh, very rewarding, Dino, without a doubt, with all the travel and the, and the hype and everything around that. Those little moments, uh, they do touch you, and in and, and, and a way, it, it makes it all worthwhile that you feel like you're giving to the fraternity of the new brigade and passing on just a couple of little things you might see from the comm box and just, you know, give a little tip of advice or something that they even ask you about, mm-hmm. which is really nice that they do, um, and it's become more of a, a relaxed environment to pass on knowledge, so you really do enjoy it. Now, we may have somebody, Danny, who's just listening to this podcast for the first time and somebody who's just beginning to understand the game of cricket. Waka Yunus did nothing wrong, obviously, but could, did you just want to briefly explain why he was allowed to be back uh, in, in India again? I mean, it just obviously... Yeah, and, and, and Mumbai of all places. Yeah. And, and sadly, because of what happened in November of 2008 with the terrorist attacks on that uh, beautiful city that I like to keep mentioning as Bollywood, um, as I do on IPL, um, is that Mumbai, yeah, those sad terrorist attacks of the Taj where we often stay, and in the Oberoi Trident Hotel, again, where we we often stay with the teams. Um, Really, really sad, tragic events. And so because they were Pakistan nationals, uh, and, and getting in there. In fact, I was just reading it uh, was, I mean, last year or the year before, a very good book out called Under Siege, right. and it's got at the front of that gorgeous old uh, Taj Mahal hotel there on the waterfront down by the gateway to India in uh, Kalaba of, of, of uh, Mumbai. And so for those who, yeah, tuning in and wondering why about the great Waka Yunus is because obviously he's Pakistani, uh, and to be allowed into that part of the world was such a huge no-no, even... Uh, given that that was almost five years after that terrorist attack. And for Waka, because of who he is and, and, and how he's held in such high regard, that he was allowed to come in with the Sunrisers franchise to play the Mumbai Indians at Wankiti Stadium uh, it was fascinating. Because I, I remember it vividly too, Dino, because for listeners, I had my mum. I got my mum over uh, and I brought her over for a lovely little two-week sojourn uh, and come and stay in that gorgeous hotel the one that was attacked in November of 08 and uh, had a wonderful room for my mother and uh, she had a lovely bay window looking over the swimming pool at the Taj and, you know, wandering over, I took my mum to a match there and there's Waka uh, coaching some of the younger guys that weren't actually in the playing 11 and, and caught up in the, and, and introduced them to my mum and said day. 
and we were walking across the hallowed turf of Wankiti and mum could come up and spend some time and sit at the back of the commentary box. So that was fascinating that my dear mother, who was such a uh, an inspiration for me because of her thespian drama background, and that's where people often wondered, my God, Morrison, where do you get that energy from? Where do you get that madness in front of the camera? Is <laughs> down a lot to my mother when I did some pantomime when I was 11 and 12 to do that. So to walk on that stage of Wankiti, having my dear mother there and the great legend of Waka Yunus in Mumbai at that time, uh, truly, truly a fascinating period of time. Those are memories that will stay with you forever, Danny. No matter how old you become, those memories will, mm. will stay in your heart forever. So let's talk a bit about you. You're an amazingly bubbly, wonderful, fascinating character. Spending time with you, which I've done, it was a real honor and a privilege because I used to obviously listen to radio commentaries and even TV commentaries of you running in and almost demolishing the umpire when you used to run in and bowl because you used to get <laughs> so, so close to the umpire. But, you know, to actually be then be with you in the flesh was was absolutely wonderful. But... Uh, you've you've made uh, mention to the fact that when you do commentate, it's a very I like to refer to it as a very high octane type of of commentary. It's fast, it's furious, it's it's very frenetic. <laughs> but are there times? So, what are the differences between the the, the Daniel Kyle Morrison who walks into the commentary <laughs> box in a in and put in a T Twenty game? Uh, versus the Danny Morrison who's just having an average ordinary day. I mean, are there times when you think, I really don't want to be doing this, I just want to have a normal day? Or, or is it something that comes to you, you know, these two personas of yours, when you, when you get into mm. your, um, your personalities, it, it must be very difficult at times, isn't it? It is, and you're quite right, and I think... You know, history is littered with whether they, I suppose, as my dear mother would say, just Danny, you're you're just treading the different boards of theatre, if you like, in a way, and that's through sports and and, and obviously T20 and the IPL or EPL or whatever, um, as opposed to looking at other actors that you do. And and I, there was a title of a book that I wanted to do and called, you know, and I, and I, I can't remember if I've already trade, you know, put it down and, and signed it off was, is, you know, get your game face on um, because there are times when you, all of us are just human and, you, and Dino, you're down and, and we're emotional beasts and there are times, you're right, when you, you're you not feeling great, there could be some drama going on at home and I'm on the other side of the planet working and doing what I do uh, and, there, and there often was and, and you, you know, it, it can drag you down but bless my dear wife for saying at the end of the day, this is what you do. This is what you're about. You've got to be professional. And at the same time, give yourself an uppercut because there are plenty of other people around the planet would love to be doing what you're doing. Yes. And you, you don't do it for long. It's short and it's sharp. And as you rightly say, Dino, it's, it's high octane. You give. And you've got to give because that is part, of, I think, of the philosophy as entertainers, uh, whether it's through sport or whatever, and, and through us through broadcasting, is that, you owe the fans because the game is about the fans. And, and that, to me, and my sort of upbringing was, was hammered at me in terms of coming from a humble background where, you know, I fought against the system, I fought against being a, a, 
a sawn-off runt as a hobbit trying to run in and do a big man's job. When you look at all the – when I used to look back in awe, and I used to look at Alan Donald when South Africa burst back in onto the scene. And, in fact, we toured England, Richard Hadley's last tour of 1990, and there was AD running in at Warwickshire versus New Zealand. I had the game off. But I just looked and I thought, oh, God, to be six foot four and, and glide in like that and have long levers and all that sequencing and timing and action and – I said, oh, God, I killed to have that extra bounce, whereas being a somewhat of a five-foot-nothing hobbit uh, <laughs> running in, and yes, I had to get close to the umpire and have a big leap because of my lack of height. Um, those sort of things to fight against, to then then go in and do what I'm doing, um, you've got you've to pinch yourself a little bit at times, Dino, and go, geez, you know, this is pretty special and pretty unique that what you do, and you owe it to the fans to, to be up and entertain because – you never know when it could be a last. And my dear mate, Robin Jackman, who fortunately in terms of and, and having throat cancer uh, and, and someone spotting that and listening to him on air, uh, a, a friend apparently in, in Cape Town, and she was a, a doctor, a specialist, heard that voice thing. If that goes on you, that's your livelihood. That's yes. where you're at. Yeah. Um, and so you just don't know how long it'll be. It's a bit like playing, Dean. Uh, you know, it, sometimes it doesn't end the way you want it to for, for the majority of us. And you suddenly bang, you lose your job, you get sacked from the team, that's it. And the same thing with, you know, people move on. You, you know, if you're not delivering and giving enough of yourself and giving back to the fan base, then I, I think you're kidding yourself. So for me, yes, there's times when you're down and you sort of get tired, like we all get. But certainly on game day when I'm on the circuit, um, you only have to look at guys, different guys that, you know, really do. They get up and once that red light goes on, you're there to give it 100%, no doubt about it. Unless, of course, you've got a filthy cold, and we have, and I've still got on and done that thing, and you've done it yourself. <laughs> yes. Uh, where you've got the flu, and you've got a cold, and you just got to hear it in your voice, but you just got to front up and get on with it. Yeah. Do, do the job. Yeah, that, uh, that's exactly right, Danian. And it's one thing when you receive a lot of compliments uh, from fans and, and so on, but it's another thing entirely, and I would imagine that this has happened to you, it certainly happened to me, where suddenly you have a situation where people are not so very nice to you. Have you ever come across very hostile people who said, what do you think you're doing when you go in there? You are you are defiling the, the upper echelons of commentary with the way that you make a mockery of <laughs> What, you know, very nasty things. Yeah. Have you had that happen to you? Yeah. Oh, for sure. And, and, you, and like on social media, I wasn't big to get – I got pulled into it because we were trying to promote other channels. And to me, at the end of the day, I don't, I don't buy into the negative thing because as an old uh, mate of mine who's my deputy principal and a, and a good broadcaster did radio back in Auckland and New Zealand, uh, the, the great Murray Deacon, yes. uh, who retired in late 13, uh, mainly through radio but had his own TV show. Uh, we used to call him the mouth of the South. Very opinionated, very strong there. I said, Danny, at the end of the day, only, only have to, you only have to please really about 51% of the audience because then you'll keep your job and then hopefully, um, you know, whoever's in charge of broadcasting can see beyond really just your, uh, if you like, keyboard warriors as we call them today <laughs> that can have a crack at you and sit back and have an opinion and be judgmental. As humans... Dino, as we all, we, we all are, we can be quite critical or we, we can be a bit judgmental. Um, and that's just the nature of it. It's not going to please everyone. And there are a lot of uh, lovely cricket fans who are so test match oriented who love it. And I do too. I, I just get a bit pigeonholed, and understandably, for me, because I don't, I don't work full time in New Zealand. I don't do the whole summer. In fact, I don't work at all in New Zealand to do commentary. So I'm on the road. I'm a bit of a travelling gypsy. 40 20 and that's just the way it's evolved 
um, given, you know, since 2007 and moving to Australia um, because of that and the and the, the, the of T20. So, oh, absolutely. And you've got to be thick-skinned. And I think for me, I think playing a sport, uh, given, you know, my physical non-attributes and, you know, those Aussie crowds and I remember the MCG in 87 in my first test series, uh, Morrison, you midget, look at you, ugly little dwarf. He goes... These crowds going, listen, mate, I've heard of sheep having their tails docked, but, mate, who docked your legs, you ugly little dwarf? Get down the back <laughs> and watch out for those garden gnomes that are coming to get you. And, and all of that thrown in with, of course, you know, a lot of expletives that we can't say on air. No. But, um, <laughs> you know, you're not chewed into. And I think from an early age you, you realise that you're not going to please everyone and everyone's going to have an opinion and they, but they won't like what you do. And that's just, I think that's just human nature and a, and a fact of life that, I think if you're in the spotlight with uh, particularly sports, entertainment, or whether it's, you know, the theatre or the drama or movies, and people go, oh, I don't like that actor. I think he sucks. I think he's a jerk. Or I don't like her. Or, you know, you're never going to please everyone. So, you know, you have to be thick-skinned, and you just got to take it on the chin and move on and go, at the end of the day, that's your opinion. And you've got everyone one. I'd like to talk a bit about your career, which was a very good one as well. 160 test wickets and a career best of 7 for 89 versus Australia. That was in Wellington. Uh, so that, I would imagine, would be one of your proudest moments of your test career. Tell us about that particular team that you took those seven wickets and how did you do it? I mean, obviously you ran in and bowled, I understand that. But what were the thought processes of uh, you know, taking seven wickets against such a formidable side as the Aussies? And did you win the test match? Um, that seven, that seventh was unique because I hadn't ever taken a five wicket bag. Right. I'd taken, I'd taken, so I, sorry, I'd taken a five wicket bag, but I hadn't taken like a big bag, you know, like a six for or plus. Yeah. And so a couple of my colleagues had, and it was always that they'd like to poke fun at me a little bit about that. Um, even Willie Watson, who was just a nice little medium pacer, a bit like a Ewan Chatfield and listeners who remember Willie didn't play a lot of test cricket, played a lot of, White ball one day cricket, um, and he'd got I think he'd, I think Willie got yeah he got a six foot against the Pakistanis at Lahore, and I remember it well. There's a great shot of him in a book, uh, eating just relaxing, about peeling a banana and eating it. We put it in a testimonial magazine together, and um, he'd got that in 1990s. So here we were in 93, fast forward to there, and they used to rib me a bit about it. And it's funny, I I'm not a real stats guru. I, I remember places and events more so than that. And I, I've even just looked at it more recently, Dino, on Twitter. Someone put up a game where I played in 92 for Lancashire, filling in for the great Wazzy Mack. And I go, good God, I can't even remember sort of most of that game, let alone those wickets and taking them and getting a couple of guys out going, good God. So when you go back to a test match, you probably think, well, it clearly, you know, it's the highest level and it, and it means a lot to play the Aussies in a test match first and foremost. Uh, our great rivalry with the Trans-Tasman thing. And playing in Wellington is a, is a great ground. It's, it's a funny, unique ground, it's like a big giant roundabout, but it's covered with beautiful local Pahutakawa native trees. And the pitch used to – sometimes it would go through a bit, and if you had the wind up your backside, which was running in from the northern end, from the RA advance stand, it, it, it did go through nicely. So Alan Border was, you know, captain that side. He was at the end of his career – um, I'd listened to a couple of your earlier podcasts, Dino, about having the re-entry of South Africa and, and having Alan Border's side come in the beginning of 94. In fact, AB's last tour there uh, of his career was to South Africa in 94. That's so right. this was a year prior 
and you had young Shane Warne only just on the scene. Uh, he'd taken some wickets against the West Indies in late 92 at the MCG. Here they were now in New Zealand in February 93. You had Big Merv Hughes, you know, Craig McDermott had got back into the groove in a couple of years. He'd had a bit of a sabbatical time out of the side, Billy McDermott. So they had a very good side. Uh, but, you know, Steve War, the War Twins were around, of course, and, uh, you know, Paul Rifle. Um, they had a really good side, you know, opening the batting with um, uh, Marsh and Taylor. Taylor, yes. And, um, yeah, they did have a very good side. It was just before Michael Slater came on the scene, in fact. And when I think back to that, it was the seventh day of the week. It was a Sunday. And I think it was the 7th of March. You could probably tell me better on your fingertips. There were stats. And I think it was the 7th of March, the seventh day of the week being a Sunday, and ended up getting that seventh day. Uh, first time I'd taken a bigger bag than just, say, five for 68 or whatever. And then um, my wife happened to be down there, and we were about to get married. And so she was whistling, and, and my wife can wolf whistle like farmers do, routing up the old um, the, 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 the dogs and sheep herding and what have you. <laughs> so she's got a great farmer's whistle. And she was whistling a so-and-so's off as she puts it uh, out the window because the wives would sit up with these big open ranch sliders in the RO advance stand. And it was a blast around just waving to her uh, and, and getting wickets was just a blast on that lovely Sunday afternoon um, against the Aussies, our great rivals. And and again, back to your podcast, that, that wonderful, you know, South Africa, Australia, I mean, you guys, in terms of being in Southern Africa, loving to try and roll over the Aussies. I think everyone loves trying to roll over <laughs> the Aussies, even if you're a pom with the ashes, of course, but the West Indies, uh, <laughs> India, Pakistan, whoever. You're playing the Aussies because they're so in your face and they're just such a brash, uh, and this is not being rude, they're just arrogant. And they and they back themselves because they're confident and arrogant. Yes. They will be at you uh, like hyenas, a pack of hyenas having a crack at you. And so, to you know, to do well against them, um, I love that. We didn't win the test, Dino, but, you know, and I'm not blowing my own trumpet because I don't often get the opportunity to. I usually <laughs> get shat on. Is, um, is the next test match we did win. And I got a six for there at Eden Park. So it was really nice to get back-to-back big bangs of wickets. And we squared the series uh, and made it one all in a three-match series, which was really lovely. It was John Wright's last test match. Really lovely way to send Johnny Wright off um, in his final test match outing to beat the Aussies and and to to square the series and keep the Trans-Tasman Trophy. It was a blast. Fantastic stuff from Danny Morrison. Always nice to reminisce and uh, just to hear how people went about their business and how they still go about their business. So how Danny does his commentary and I suppose what motivates him to continue with that very high octane commentary, but then also taking him back into his test career. Next time, we're going to be hearing a bit more about the captaincy, the brilliance of Martin David Crowe, which many people... I guess to a certain extent have kind of forgotten about the way that he captained New Zealand in that 1992 World Cup, which had so much success for them. Thank you very much indeed for listening to the podcast. And uh, we'll be back again pretty soon with our next installment. But until then, please stay safe. You've been listening to Dean at Stumps, Zimbabwe's only weekly cricket podcast. 